Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century and how do we best maintain that aliveness while dealing with the very unique and strange pressures of this day and age? I'm your host, Brett Kane. I'm a licensed massage therapist, and my goal with this show is to provide you as many keys to as many locks as humanly possible. I really do think that everybody has a unique path in this life on how to maintain their wakefulness in the face of struggle and uncertainty, and this show is a way for me to um, explore that myself and then to also share the fruit of that with you. Uh, joining me today is somebody who has inspired me for well over 10 years at this point uh, through her music. Uh, her name is Zoe Jakes. If you're familiar with the group Beats Antique, you definitely know her. She's one of the primary composers and the lead belly dancer. She is a world-renowned tribal fusion dancer who is also a teacher, uh, has a very successful career in pretty much everything that she does, and she has graced us with a little bit of her time to explore this world of dance and how she has used it to uh, deepen her sense of bodily awareness and how she has turned her passion into a career that is sustaining her and her family. She's a mother, and she is overall just a really badass human being that I was really, really graced with the presence of. I am really thrilled about this conversation. I think you're going to get a lot from it. If you are somebody who is looking into the world of performance as a means to um, kind of light your path, then I think that you're going to get a whole lot out of this. Uh, so we talk a lot about her journey into the world of dance, what it was like to find Beats Antique and create that, uh, the spiritual implications of her art, how intuition and emotions play into her movement and in her performance. We talk about motherhood. We talk about teaching dance and increasing your sense of bodily awareness and how to avoid burnout. This is a smorgasbord of amazing topics from a very unique perspective that not many people share. So I am super pumped about it and I'm really glad that we got to do this. Uh, if you want to plug into Zoe's platform, head on over to zoejakes.com. That's Z-O-E-Jakes.com. She's also got her music uh, as Beats Antique all over everywhere you'd want to find it. She's touring all over the place. There's a lot of places to plug in. Um, Eventbrite, she has her teaching stuff on there. The link for that specifically will be down in the description as well. So please, if you're uh, resonating with what she's saying and you can go look at her performances and if you want to learn how to do stuff like that, which I think everybody should, then please feel free to reach out to her. I'm sure she would love to include you in her community and yeah. So we're going to dive right into it. If you want to support this show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. You can follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, leave a comment, rate all the things that you know how to do in the digital age. Anything that you'd reach out to us through uh, is really appreciated. We also have that Patreon, patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism. I hope you've all been well. It's been a minute. I uh, just opened up my massage office, so I am putting a lot of time and energy into that, hence the delay in episode release. But I've not forgotten about you. I've been thinking about it a lot, and we will continue onward. So thank you again so much from the bottom of my heart. Please open your hearts, drink some tea, do some stretches, and welcome Zoe Jakes.
Okay, so we are now live. Zoe, hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. How are you on Hi. this fine day? I'm doing I'm doing great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, it's been in the works for a while. Uh, our original yeah, recording I <laughs> date, I ended up getting a concussion and it was like that morning I started feeling the symptoms and it was just like, oh, I can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. Really bad. So uh, just uh, for your sake, just so you know kind of where I'm coming from and why I was reaching out to you in particular, I've been a fan of Beats Antique for probably 12 years, uh, back when wow. I first got into electronic music and um, have just always really enjoyed what you brought to that space, uh, you and the band at large, and really enjoyed the performative aspect. And as I grew up and got into body work and yoga, I really started to appreciate more the level of intention that it takes to do a performance that you do um, and like a lot of the subtle intricacies which hopefully we can get into and I think what I really wanted to start with was just kind of hearing your story of how you got into the world of dance and what that journey has been like for you so far. Yeah um, <clears throat> well I have a, a few kind of different mini stories there wasn't like one grand ground breaking moment, but when I was uh, little, when I was a kid, my sister was a very talented dancer. Uh, she was ballet and, and tap and jazz, and that was all the stuff that she was doing, and she was super talented, and I wanted to be just like my sister, and so when I was little, it was going to ballet class and tap class and all that, and uh, really wanted to be my sister, and um, I was always Rochelle's little sister. Uh, growing up as a as a dancer, and um, went through you know a very rebellious period and dropped dance and all the really creative stuff for a while, and then um, many years later ended up at a Renaissance fair and uh, I think this was in Arizona Arizona Renaissance Fair, and I saw a dancer and uh, dancing to a live band and I was like that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen I want to do that. And that's kind of how it started. And so my, my, my history, my dancing, I've been dancing my whole life, but I really didn't start to be a dancer until probably, I think I was 20. I think I was about 20 years old when I, or 19, when I really found uh, the style of um, belly dance or Middle Eastern dance that really was inspiring to me. And that's when I went on that journey. Mm. Do you know exactly what about that style of dance really drew you in? Or is it kind of just like a um, feeling? I, I think it was just the the incredible musicality and the um, the weightiness of the style. It was very heavy. Um, the dancing was very, um, uh, it wasn't like, it was very fluid and had like snake-like elements to it, which just really spoke to me. And um, the costuming was really earthy and uh, the, the connection, the audience connection that the dancer uh, was playing with was like really interesting and powerful to me. So it was, it was a lot of different kind of elements like that for sure. Mm. Uh, feeling like I could see the dancer's connection to the musicians and the dancer's connection to the audience was was super powerful yeah so when you made that decision to like i'm gonna be a dancer like that is what i'm gonna dedicate my life to 
Uh, did you find that your family was really supportive of that? Because I know the trope for a lot of folks is like, ooh, you, you're going into right, the right, arts. Right, right, like, right. <laughs> well, two, so two kind of two things happened. One, which was interesting, is in the beginning, I never was never like a conscious thing. I was just like, I like that. I want to do that. And what was so exciting for me personally, and I was very lucky, very, very, very lucky. I totally rec- – looking back on it now, I understand. First off, my parents were very supportive even though they were a little like had some misgivings about me, like traveling with Renaissance fairs, you know, in the, they were like, I don't know about that. But, um, they were very, very extremely supportive as best as I think any parents could be, um, and having their misgivings. But, uh, it was a kind of a slow burn, you know, like I, 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 I was able to, I had kind of let go of all of these, expectations within myself to go to college. I, I, I dropped out of college and, um, I broke up with my boyfriend. Like I did all these things and I just kind of ended up being a very, um, free spirited artist that kind of floated wherever I wanted to go with no expectations and no, um, no, how do I say it? Like, I never was like, I'm going to do this. I was just like, this is fun. I like this. This makes me feel really good. And I just kind of that, it was like that energy was what pulled me forward. And now I look back on it and I'm like, Oh, what a, what a magical time in my life. You know, I didn't realize like just how glorious an experience it was to spend four years of my life with like, no, zero expectations. And just, just being in the moment, like, what a magical thing to get to have. Yeah, that's special. Did you find that there was a certain point when, so you're free flowing without the expectation. Was there a point when you were kind of like, oh, I actually do need a little bit of like structure and kind of containment to really take it to the next level? Or did you just kind of ride that energy forward and forward? Yeah, I never was like, there was never a point where I was like, I need to dedicate this. Cause like, even though I started like, I, 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 Oh, all oh, the classes are exciting. Oh, there's classes. I can take classes. Oh my God. That's so cool. And I like started taking a ton of classes and found some amazing teachers. I was lucky enough to study with a woman named um, Suhaila Salampur and her daughter. I mean, her mother, uh, Jamila, who are like a really, really um, important part of the dance community on the West coast. I just have to plug in my computer I just, I got the like warning. Hold on. There we go. So, you know, I, it was a, it was a, a level of like luck and serendipity being at the right place at the right time. And the, it, things didn't start to get heavy or get like you were saying like that moment of like, okay, here we go. This is, this is, it's like the, any type of a relationship, but you can't be in that like honeymoon period forever. Um, and it was, when I started to tour with a group called Belly Dance Superstars, which the name has always cracked me up. I'm like, that's <laughs> such a cheesy name. But but it was um, a big step. And anyone can tell you that has toured with a professionally touring dance or theater company that it's like no joke. It's just, it's a, it's a totally different, different thing. And I didn't have a lot of preparation for it, you know, and, um, 
that definitely was when I kind of had to be like, okay, what am I doing right now? That was the moment. And I think that was in 2006, 2005, maybe somewhere around there. Yeah. At what point did uh, Beats Antique kind of become a thing? Was that while you were traveling with this belly dancing group or? Well, let me tell you a story. So this is an interesting story. So Belly Dance Superstars was a touring show and it was created by a man named Miles Copeland. Hmm, if you've heard of that name before. Yeah. He, yes, Miles Copeland was the manager for the police amongst many 80s bands. Miles was the guy who created this. He was like, Belly Dance is going to be the next river dance. (laughs) So his brother is Stuart Copeland. You know, he's directly connected to the police and he's had the biggest. I don't want to say something that's not true, so I won't say that. But he had a huge record record in light label with um, you know the biggest names in the '80s rock. So that's the man who made this touring show that I was in. Like it's so crazy. So how Beats Antique came out of that is um, well, I was touring with this show. I was also touring with another show called the Yard Dogs Road Show. This will all come together. There's many pieces. The Yard Dogs Roadshow was a precursor to a lot of style, aesthetic, and really interesting. It was like old school Americana, um, burlesque, and vaudeville. And um, I was touring with them, belly dancing and doing other stuff. And there was a drummer named Tommy Cap Capel, Capel Tommy, <laughs> my dear friend Tommy. It was the second band we'd been in. Tommy, as you know, is the drummer of the Beats, of Beats Antique. At the time he was the drummer of the Yard Dogs Roadshow. It was the second band we'd been in. The first band we'd been in was called the Extra Action Marching Band. And that is one of the funnest experiences I've ever had in my whole life. So I wasn't just doing belly dance. I was doing a lot of performance art and theater and and, and burlesque, even though I didn't talk about it. Because now it's so much more accepted to burlesque. It's, it's not as like... There was, back in the early 2000s, there was a a little bit of a, people had opinions about it, so I didn't talk about it, but I was doing burlesque in the early 2000s, and anyway, so Miles, uh, so I was, I met this guy, David, who uh, was the violin player in 2004, violin player for Butantique, and, you know, also multi-instrumentalist, so me and David began a relationship in, I think, 2004, 2005. And we started making music together. And we started making uh, tracks. I learned Ableton. We were learning Ableton simultaneously, actually, and making music together. And so I was on tour with Miles Copeland with his show, The Belly Dance Superstars. And me and Miles got along really well. We were buddies. Uh, I He had really interesting stories, always had the coolest stories about being on tour in the 80s and the 90s and, you know, the Go-Go's or just like all sorts of crazy stories. So we're hanging out at the bar after the show. I just did a big belly dance show and we're hanging out at the bar and he's talking about how his new label, I think it's, so there's IRS records and then there's CIA records. Oh, geez. And then one of those, one of those was, uh, the new one, and it was he had like a world music label, a really big one, and he was saying that he wanted some more modern music for it. And I was like, 
I was like, I can help you out. And this is before any, this is literally, this is what, how it started. And he was like, Oh, what do you mean? And I'm like, I make music with my boyfriend. We can make you an album. And he was like, sure. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. You know, you can, uh, uh, give me a demo. And if you can do that, and if I like it, I'll put you on my label. So I called David and I was like, David, we have a really cool opportunity. So start working on stuff. And then we were like, who is somebody that we could work with, you know, that could bring in a lot of like beats and drums. And that's when we asked Tommy or I asked Tommy and uh, Tommy started working on tracks but Tommy, I think, wasn't working in Ableton at that point. He was working in another program. But he was started working on tracks. Me and David were working on tracks. And I was directing it, like, completely. I was like, something like this. This song needs to be structured like this. I was, like, heavily involved in uh, the arrangement in the first album because I was, I was kind of leading that project in the beginning. And, of course, you know, the guys brought in their own incredible voice and that was the beginning of Beats Antique but it was a really interesting beginning because we were not doing it as a band we were doing it as a recording project that had been specifically requested mm. yeah. so that was how that was the beginning of Beats Antique that's amazing that uh such a cool beginning to see where you are at now you know usually one of the top headliners of whatever you know festival you end up playing so that's mm -hmm. really incredible i know a lot of folks who you know i engage with a lot of people in the festival community and i feel like a lot of the people who are fans of your music tend to have some sense of spiritual inclination uh, and I'm just kind of curious about your own personal relationship to spirituality and if that ever makes uh, kind of a decision in the way that you arrange things. Because I know a lot of people kind of ascribe that to musicians without mm -hmm. actually mm -hmm. knowing if that's like what their thing is. So I'm just kind of curious right. what your your experience is with that. I think I, 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 don't, I, I don't know what I would be termed, whatever the term is for not really thinking but you know i'm i'm not religious in any way um but i would definitely say i have a level of like spirituality because i i, I think for me if, if there was to be any not that like i do anything practicing but i would almost consider myself to be like a version of pagan in the sense that i heavily believe in like the power of the planet and its wisdom and i feel like really personally like the most magical, incredible things that humans have ever done has been, you know, in conjunction with the planet. And I think that like the most horrible, awful things we've done has been when we've gone against it as we all, as we can see. And so for me, I, I'm, I'm very much like, like, I guess my spirituality is wrapped into like intuition and being able to, being able to truly like sit with like what your path is and being able to like understand that. And of course, it's, we all, everyone has a path, but everyone's inner path is like so deeply and incredibly intertwined. So it's really, I would say how that relates to the music and the feeling that I have when I'm a part of it or making it or building choreographies to it is this beauty, the beauty of like the universal truths that we have as humans and like 
even though the details are, are, are different, there's always that like that universal truth, something that just means is, is like so powerful for someone, you know, a gesture, which maybe is a universal gesture, um, in that moment when somebody watches you perform, you know, they, they feel their own recognition of what that moment means to them. And so really it's like the, the, we are like so deeply intertwined and connected. And, uh, I think my, 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 all my art comes from that. And, um, I would say the spirituality that I do feel in my life comes from that as well. So like these movement practices such as dance, and I honestly put like what you do in the same category as like a Tai Chi or a yoga and that you are mm -hmm. kind of like moving energy around your body in a way to kind of express, you know, do you uh, kind of feel like that has helped you connect to that intuition, that deep space? Um, like what is that interaction between like your thinking mind and when you're performing? If that tracks? Well, it's... Yeah, no, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I just like have to think about it a little bit. The feeling that I get about dance, especially when you've been dancing for a long time, when you've been training and dancing and you've been sitting in something for such a long time that you don't have to think about the movement that you're doing anymore, but it just is part of you, is that there's a couple things. Um I think dancing is my meditation. Um, so in that sense, I think it is really, really connected to that. And, and the idea of like flow yoga and the way we can like pull away from our thoughts and just kind of be in the moment. I'm not saying I'm always successful, but that's my, my absolute goal. Um, I find, uh, I find that my favorite moments in my life are reflective of my favorite moments on stage, mm -hmm. which when you think of the, the like every moment is like a moment to like be art or, or whatever they say, like, you know, be, be in your life as you would be on stage, I suppose, which again, I try, but I'm not saying I'm successful all the time, but just like, when I'm truly in the moment and able to just be, uh, that is when I feel like I do my best art and when I, I guess, live my best life. And in that sense, I think it really does have a big connection to movement practices that are more meditative or for sure. But, but the, the added thing, and this is where we go back to this idea of like, we are, we're all one when you're on stage I had this experience. It's not every time I perform, but it does happen a lot. And, but you become like a channel for thousands of people. And so not only are you in that moment, like focusing on your own breath, focusing on your own movement, but you're doing that, but you're like, part of your training or part of, I would say, if you watch any performer that is blowing your mind on stage, there's just something about them. Uh, I feel like we all as performers 
have this way to channel something bigger than ourselves and something that's, that's, I'm sure in like 200 years, science is going to say, oh my God, there's this crazy thing and blah, blah, blah. And the way dark matter is actually these molecules banging together and, or like on some deeper string level shit or something, but like something that explains this like incredible connection that, that we have when we are all together and how it can be something that can be very, very, very good. It can also be very bad, but like in, when we're talking about performance, like you truly as an artist become a channel, whether it's a channel to the audience or the audience to you, it's like, that's just kind of part of what you get to play with as a performer. Mm. Has there ever been a moment when that channeling like from the audience to you has kind of felt like a little like uncomfortable? Have you ever been in any settings where that process has kind of felt like congealed and just like, oh, like something is just weird about this? Um, only when I'm feeling I'm in my head and I'm not present and I'm projecting my insecurities, uh, which is something that we do when we're feeling uncomfortable and unsafe. And then another one is there's been a couple times that I've been in front of a crowd that was not, uh, not good. Um, we opened up for someone that was not, we shouldn't, it didn't, whoever booked that shouldn't have booked that. And we, the crowd was like, not into what we were doing. And like, that was, that was the first time I was like, Oh, like, is not good. So that's like the two times, but really other than that one kind of moment where I was like not in front of the right crowd, <laughs> which once in like a career of, you know, 15, how many years the band's been doing this is pretty good. But generally speaking, I would say it's when I'm stuck in my head. Mm. Yeah, that kind of tracks as a body worker as well. Sometimes I'll be holding a session. If something's moving on in my life, then it's just kind of, there's like a kind of a disconnect and it's like you mm -hmm. kind of have to compartmentalize and just like yeah. find what's comfortable for you in that moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel in those moments? So there's like a lot of thinking, but like heavy emotions as well and how that mm. relates to performance. Because when you're on the road, you have these tour dates that are they're there, they're definite, but life sometimes doesn't care. <laughs> you know, have you ever like yeah. had a chunk of time where you're like, I have all this stuff to do. I have this heavy emotion that I can't seem to shake. Are you able to like channel that into your process? Or is it something you, like I said, like have to compartmentalize and just show up for the fans? And um, like, how do you, yeah, how do you handle emotion in that? It depends. I actually think I'm really good at car compartmentalizing and there's only been a few instances with like some heavy relationship stuff where um I think there's a couple shows that it was almost it was I just had to push through but um other than that I think I'm really good at setting aside really being able to like take take be treated treated as like a sacred moment and set aside my issues I'm having and then step onto the stage and um, do what I need to do. So I would say there's been a couple times, but majority of the time, in terms of heavy emotion, it's I, I either am able to like, I would say for me, I don't like to be overwhelmed by emotion on stage. I don't. It's not 
that's, I don't feel comfortable with that. So I'll allow some of it a little bit to help me direct me in that moment, but I don't, I like to set a lot of that stuff aside. But it's interesting, the really I would say the hardest time I ever had on stage was when I was three and a half months pregnant with Luna and I was having horrifying mornings. Like the word morning sickness is offensive to me because it wasn't morning. It was just like a month and a half of pure hell and we were on a tour and it was really hard for me to be present when I was like, I might barf on the audience right now. Like that was hard. And nobody knew except the band, like nobody knew I was pregnant. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I saw a video in preparation. I was just doing some last minute stuff and you announced to the crowd that you were pregnant. I don't know how long into the pregnancy it was, but that was astounding to me because every pregnant person I know is just like, no, <laughs> I ain't doing that. So like, yeah, mm -hmm. how did that, how were you able to like make that decision and really stay with that? That's, it's just such an impressive thing. Do you mean like stay with performing while I was pregnant? Mm -hmm. Well, I kind of had no choice because we had all these dates coming forward. I mean, I guess looking back on it, I, I didn't feel like I had a choice. And if I look back on it, like I could have stepped back and had other people like take it on. But other than the morning sickness, it wasn't that hard um, my pre I was blessed with a relatively easy, other than horrible, like debilitating morning sickness for about a month and a half. Other than that, I was blessed with a pretty easy, easy pregnancy. And um, I liked dancing. Um, the only time my feet swelled was when I wasn't dancing, actually. Wow. Um, I was extremely active through my pregnancy. I slowed down. Um, I was performing and dancing and teaching up until about nine. I mean, I I taught a class like a week before I gave birth. Wow! But um, I was wasn't. I was. Ta I just, I really scaled things back a lot in the last like month. But uh, it 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 felt good. Dancing felt really good. There was a point where I started to get to a point where I was like, oh, I can't do that. Nope not happening. Yeah. And, uh, if she was sitting in a certain way, I, I, one day I'd wake up and I'd be like, I can't dance. I can't even walk. I'm just going to lay here. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. um, it wasn't really like a hard choice at all. It was just, I think if I could have not gone on that awful, like morning sickness tour, that would have been great. But the rest of it was fine. The morning sickness tour. <laughs> That's oh. a terrible name for a tour, but yeah. Um, what that I found really, amazing about that video is you you said something along the lines of um like it's just a reminder you like you announced that you're pregnant and like women who are pregnant are still beautiful and it was just this definitive mm -hmm. just this expression of it was just such a beautiful moment you said that every dance is a duet and it was just like oh my god mm. my heart and oh. i think that could really be a powerful thing because i know a lot of folks that i've talked with <laughs> who are going through so many like hormonal and emotional changes mm. can kind of like lose track of the fact that they are like individuals who can still have a voice. You know, oftentimes society likes to be like, you're a mother now. That's what, that is you first, foremost. And people kind of like put themselves aside. And I think that there's like a synergy, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's very, very hard. And um, I would say, American culture specifically. And I, I think probably like North America in general and certain other elements of Western culture where it's, it's not, it's like once you get pregnant, you're, you're like 
oh, well, you have to be extra careful and you could do this. And it's like, if I would have done the things that were advised to me by certain people, I would have not been a hell, like I would not have been a healthy, like pregnant lady. I just, for me personally, it was totally, none of it made sense. Um, And finally I found this midwife who was incredible and all, and she said, she's like, just if, if there were things that you did before you, we're pregnant and they feel good and they continue to feel good, then that's good for your body. Like that's what your, your body knows that those patterns are safe and maybe don't like start long distance running six months (laughs) into your pregnancy. You know, maybe don't pick up something you've never done before. Like that's probably not a good idea. And it was the most kind of sane opinion that, uh, really rang very true. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what you're saying about mothers and their identity loss, it's it's really hard because there isn't a lot of support from a government level and uh, the way family is here on a family level. So if you just look at the fact of time, there's no time to 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 have an identity because you know there's no federally manca- mandated daycare. So like you can't afford to take your child somewhere for a little while when they're little so you can have a break or you can't take time off work. So you, it's, it's just, it's like, I'd say the biggest challenge that women and parents have towards like rebuilding their identity after a child is born is their inability to have the time to do so. It's like, there's just no time because time is money and time are, you know, you, if you're wealthy, you can pay for that time. But if you're not, you have to do it yourself. And so people, you just, it's like a grind. You know, you're like, take care of the kid, do the thing, da 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 And by the end of the night, you're so tired, you just pass out. And there's just no time. Yeah. Do you feel like it was e- yeah. a little bit easier for you because your career was your expression and largely like kind of a part of your identity? Or was it yes. a little harder? Yeah. Yes. No, I, I, again, it's another moment where I feel incredibly, incredibly blessed and grateful for the fact that, you know, as a self-employed person, um, I was able to, once I got pregnant, I started saving up money and figuring out how I was and gave myself three months maternity leave, you know, which was huge. And, you know, me and my partner have worked together and we have a really great, a wonderful relationship. He's, he's, he's such an amazing father. And he actually in the pandemic was not able to work. He's a, a sports massage therapist and uh, he, yeah, yeah. You, you know exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. He couldn't work. Him. And so, mm-hmm. so he ended up um, becoming full-time caretaker caregiver for Luna and I work full-time, but you know, a lot of my work is sitting in front of a computer And so when she was little, I would have her with me all the time while I was working. And so, again, I feel really, like, grateful that we've been able to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was kind of curious because I know a lot of, like, all performances were kind of shut down for about a year and a half. And I'm kind of curious, what what did you and the band end up doing as a response to COVID? And did you continue dancing? And, like, how did that help you? process the fact that we're in this crazy time dance saved me through covid 
Dance was uh, my savior on many different levels, emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially. Um, I uh, started, I just started teaching online and I taught online for the entire pandemic. I was teaching three to four days a week for a long time at an incredible student base and people were I built a whole new dance community through these online classes I was teaching that still exists now, which is wonderful. And uh, uh, performing, not so much. Um, I personally did not enjoy. I did. We did some online performances, and they were okay. But um, I'm not a online like performer. I don't. Like one of the things that kind of started to happen is people would make these beautiful videos where they, they would film themselves dancing and editing them and make these gorgeous videos. I don't, I personally don't, that's not the way I like to express myself. For me, it's in the moment with the audience. And so I actually did a couple of those and I was like, eh, I just didn't, I love watching them. I love watching other people's do, you know, what they would contribute. But for me personally, I was just like, I there's nothing. I don't enjoy this. It's not worth it. So other than a couple things here and there, I kind of didn't perform at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just teaching nonstop, so much teaching. What's that like for you, like to be able to teach other people how to embody in this very precise way that I would consider it to be kind of like an intimate thing. It's something I wanted to bring up earlier and like the nature of belly dancing is very involved around very typically vulnerable part of the body you know we store a lot of like emotions in our core Mm -hmm. and it's kind of our sense of like grounding and i'm kind of curious what your experience is with teaching other people in a way that is like do you have to like kind of be like partial therapist at some point because i imagine it churns up a lot when people are just learning how to do this I think um, it it feels more to me like like the thing I've experienced that is, I think, the most important thing for me to just as an artist is I find it forms a a connection, a human connection and community in a way. I think with – so something that I read, I don't like – I can't – you know, I – don't have it in front of me, but it's something I read and it stuck with me is when people dance together, um, they start to breathe together and their heart rates start to synchronize together. And, um, to me, and of course that's going to happen in any form of dance. The more rhythmic the dance form is, I think, meaning the more like repetitively patterned it is, the more it's going to happen. And I, I really feel like that is what, what created some of the most kind of beautiful connection. And, and I would say emotion, um, I think with, uh, all the isolations and stuff, I think, um, people, you know, like my classes are really focused and really demanding technically, but also like, you know, we're going to, we get on that level where we're like breathing and moving together. And so, um, there are moments in the class where I think everybody's just like kind of transcending, you know, whatever it is and just being in the moment. And that, that's, that to me is the most intimate experience is is feeling that. And, um, I do think that 
this form of dance is very liberating for people. Um, for some people, whether, you know, they haven't felt like they, they've been able to be connected to their bodies or move for, with their bodies. Um, like you were saying, like it's, it's, you know, the torso and the hips and the pelvis, like when those things start to move, it's going to shift things emotionally. I would say, uh, it, it, it helps people feel like they're connecting to, to something in themselves that they didn't really even know was there, I guess. And, um, I think that's one of the, you know, the, this dance, this belly dance is, um, in, in a very old, you know, dance form, but it's also like, you know, incredibly connected to a lot of cultures around the world. And, and I think that, you know, if you look at the history of it and you look at where it's come from, it's, it's a very community oriented, um, form where like, it's always shared. It's always a shared dance form. It's like always shared. A lot of the times it was like with the women dancing together, sisters and mothers and children. And, um, and there wasn't like a class where you would learn. It was, you were moving with your family and, um, you were like, or you were watching like your aunt or your sister or like someone in, in, in the community performing, like, but very casually for the group and, and, you know, you would like follow them behind or whatever. So that's, it's, it's like, it, it just, I think, I think that this dance form and I think that the community that kind of has evolved around it is filling in a need that we have that we don't get anymore. And that is a sense of community and family through uh, dance and music, which is everywhere in the world, except the modern, like not modern, but like the more kind of westernized people in other cultures are always singing and dancing together and like experience, you know, it's, it's, but it's much more casual. It's not it's so, so really for dance, uh, so I'm kind of going on a tangent with this, but it. really I feel like, I feel like Western culture has kind of taken this. And it's funny that I say this because it's what I do. I go on stage and I perform and people watch. Um, but that's not the roots of this dance form at all. It's this, this dance form comes from everyone dancing together. And it didn't matter if you were good or not. It was about the way it made you feel. And I think in dance class, that's what people really, a lot of what people want. And of course people want to perform. I'm performing, you know, that's like an aspect of it. But really when we're in class, I think it's about just like feeling your body in a room with a group of other people. And that's the magic. Do you feel like with this dance style in particular that some of, cause I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It requires a lot of subtlety, right? Like there's kind of like a deep seated awareness. So. Do you feel like that level so. of sensitivity and articulation has carried out into your day-to-day -day life as well? Like, do you kind of find yourself <laughs> engaged with your ground and your floor a little bit more deeply? I mean, you've been in it for so long, so it might be hard to context, but. Um, I would say really like on a technical, if we're talking like purely technically, um, my posture has improved phenomenally. Um, I actually used to have a pretty bad neck and back um, where it rounds. Uh, I see old pictures of me and I'm like, oh, that looks painful. <laughs> so I 
I healed my myself, my spine through dance for sure. And um, so I would say yes on the purely technical aspect. And then from kind of, I guess like if we're going to go a little bit more like esoteric with it, um, I think it has sometimes, but I think I'm a very kind of mildly neurotic and somewhat impatient individual. And so my life challenge has always been to try not to be so reactive and to, to, to try and, and not label my emotions and just like sit with my sensations, which is my job, you know, which, so I, I would say, I would say I'm trying, but I think that's always going to be my like lifelong practice. <laughs> Yeah. If you're only mildly neurotic, then you are now my new teacher because I am off the <laughs> cusp, man. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. Yeah, what I think is really fascinating about it and what uh, the idea that I had as a body work and something I notice a lot is typically people's response to stress is to curl it's kind of like mm. what a baby first does, you know, when it, it you know, mm -hmm. wants comfort, that primary flexion. And what I think is really interesting is that does have an emotional state of kind of recoiling from the world. It's kind of an expression of fear a little bit. So what mm -hmm. I think is really interesting about what you're doing and what you're teaching people is the beauty, the beauty of dance and community, but also you're turning that flexion outward. And it's actually like mm -hmm. exposing all of like the raw parts of us and really just allowing all of that to just be as we're connecting to the people that are perceiving it. And I just think that that is just so cool. I just have always really appreciated that about situations like this. Yeah. I think posturally in terms of like having in a moment of feeling insecure and instead of just rounding forward, but actually trying to like lift and be tall mm -hmm. can change your perception. And, and I think like going back to like what I was saying about, about posture, everything's connected. And I think building your posture is also completely connected with the emotional state that you're in when your muscles are flexed and working a certain way. So it's, it's, you know, I wasn't just working on my posture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. So what is going on for the upcoming future for you? What, uh, what does this summer look like? You, you have some shows coming up, right? Yeah, we're doing PsychoFest, which is a, it's, I know it's a metal fest, but Bone Thugs and Harmony is going to be there, I think. And there's some other, it it's going to be at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, which is, I'm super excited. It sounds really fun. And there's going to be some, some cool acts that I, I can't wait to see. Um, but yeah, uh, that's happening. And then there's, uh, this summer I'm actually going to Europe. I'm really okay. excited. Yeah, I'm is going to Is that just Europe. for personal gonna... or is that kind of a career thing? I'm going to go teach. And nice. Beats Antiques doing some European dates. I don't know if we're officially supposed to like announce it, but uh, but I'm just talking about it, so it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to Europe. You, you don't have to edit that. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to Europe. Heard. We're going to do – someone I heard said Beats Antiques yeah. could be in Europe. yeah. yeah. And uh, that's really, really exciting. So I'm going to Europe and I'm going to go perform and I'm going to go teach. And uh, yeah, it's just like really cool stuff. My, I'm, I'm, 
I'm really grateful. I have a very, very amazing life. Like I just, so much gratitude. Um, it's a lot. It's really overwhelming, like to the nth degree. Like that's what's, cause I was thinking about, Oh, and I'm going to Europe. And then, then I have my, I have a dance program called dance craft, which is a certification dance in my style. And that's happening in September. And then I'm going, I'm doing my first Costa Rica retreat in November. So that's happening. It's, it's all just like amazing stuff. But as a self-employed woman, it's very, it's very overwhelming. And then, you know, really trying to be a really good mother and deal with life stuff. So it's, it's like, I th and I think this is how a lot of people feel. It's like, things are so great, but it's just, it's just a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. like so much. Yeah. So do you often kind of feel like, do you feel at all like a little claustrophobic in the life that you've created? Or do you feel like there is a lot of moments of like space? Cause I know a lot of people who are on the onset who are like hearing you mm -hmm. and they're like, I want a life like that. I'm just kind of curious, like what can they expect? Like what are some of the attributes that they should be expecting to cultivate? And like, is there any like things for people to look out for, you know, like, like mm -hmm. burnout. Totally. Like what does burnout look like? I'm well. I can tell you first and foremost. I'm um. I am a bona fide workaholic. So I would say almost almost to like a like a like I need, it's a problem. But I've been working really hard to try and push back a little bit. Uh, so I think whenever you're uh, self-employed, you just have to you just have to like be a workaholic, and so. Then we get to burnout and, um, burnout is a real thing. And it's really important to understand that it's not an if, but it's kind of a when, you know, and it just, it happens in waves and finding ways to diffuse your burnout without throwing in the towel is a big one. And then, um, a lot of extremely high stress situations, where you are very, very, very challenged to not be reactive. And that's kind of where I feel like I'm at in my life as a human being is like really saying like, okay, this is going to keep happening. And so you can't stop it. It's the way that you are going to respond to it. So those are the big, I think, takeaways for, um, for people that really want to follow, take the next step and like really step into your dreams and your goals is it's, it's, it's really hard. <laughs> I mean, life is hard. Everything's hard, you know, but it's, it's, it's very, it's a big challenge, but, um, I think just being able to be present or trying, you're not always going to achieve it, but really trying to be present and trying to be in the moment and not get swept away, but to really stay present is, is like, and then is a really good way to look at it all. Yeah. Yeah, I really like saying that, like, even the experience of falling off the path is the path itself. So it's like you almost mm -hmm. have to go into it expecting, like, I'm definitely going to hit a limit and I'm probably going to do some things that I will probably regret. But as long as you yeah. like, remain open and don't let it, like, knock you off the trajectory mm -hmm. that you have and to just trust yeah. that you have the confidence and the wherewithal to actually achieve the thing. I think it's like that that confidence that really ferries you across those difficult situations yeah yeah exactly that's that's exactly it is just is is knowing that like 
going into this, it's, it's the adage that like failure is required for success, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, I talk about all these synchronistic, amazing, incredible things that have happened in my life, but, you know, I leave out the things that have happened that were not great and that were a challenge and felt defeatist and felt like they were the end, which has happened, you know, several times. And, uh, I think I would say ultimately with, when you are following your path, it doesn't just mean everything happens. It's not like I followed my path and then everything, all these doors just opened. It's you follow your path. You, you decide what your, what your goals and your values and your morals are and like what you want to bring into your life. And that means sometimes that something's going to happen that looks like a terrible failure and feels like it, it's a, it, it's a significant end to your, your path. And it could even dissuade you from continuing down your path until you get some space from it a few years later. And you're like, Oh, if that hadn't have happened, none of these other incredible things would have happened. And, and, and of course what we trade, you know, I'm 43 now and what you trade for youth is, I think the most important thing I've traded is, is the understanding of, of patterns and seeing you, you have, you truly have the insight. That's, that's wisdom. Wisdom comes with time because you have to have gone through some cycles in order to be able to see those patterns. But that's when you actually can look back and be like, Oh, okay. Okay. No, that I get it now. And, uh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, uh, am a Buddhist practitioner and that's essentially what you just said is the teaching on karma is essentially, I mean, it's kind of that, like, we really don't have as much control as we think we do in a direct way, Mm -hmm. but by viewing the patterns and our habitual responses to things, we can find the moments when there's gaps in it, you know, but when there's like, Mm. I have a feeling, I have to act, there's like a space in between that, and that's when you can go in and change the pattern, which kind of operates habitually, and like, that's actually what, like, karma's pointing to, it's not just like, you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get bad. It's like seeing your habitual tendencies mm-hmm. and like learning how to interject and like change that course. And I think a big part of that is recognizing that like failure is an opportunity to become professional. You know, it's like it could mm-hmm. either completely knock you off or it's a moment to re-clarify, see what the pattern was and be like, I'm really committed to this vision and I'm going to see it through. So I'm going to change yeah. the pattern to actualize. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, I mean, it takes time. You got to like have some life experiences before you have any habits that you can try to change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lots of mistakes. Yeah. Lots of mistakes. All right. Well, Zoe, this has been really wonderful. I'm really glad that we got to do this. For a while, I was like, oh, that is, that's gone. That boat has sailed. But luckily, your <laughs> wonderful assistant has connected us. So I'm really thankful. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful to get to have some time to talk about these things with you. And thank you so much for having me. Of course. Before we let you go, where can people find you if they want to start training with you and want to see some of your performances and maybe listen to your music? Uh, yeah. Where, where can people connect? Well, I have a um, really like the best place to find my classes is through Eventbrite. Everything's on my Eventbrite. And you just search my name, Zoe Jakes on Eventbrite, 
it's just eventbrite.com and that's where my classes will pop up. And then regarding shows and stuff for Beats Antique, we have all of our show dates on our website, but also you can follow us on Instagram and just look up Beats Antique. And I'm also on Instagram, Zoe Jakes, and I'm pretty busy on there and pretty much anything in my link in bio will link you to any of my classes or my YouTube and all that stuff. So following me on Instagram is kind of the way to go. Heck yeah, cool. It's kind of where everybody's at these days, so... Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. Really, it's been yeah. such a pleasure. We'll catch you yeah, next time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too. All right, my friends, that was the episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way through until the end. I really do make this show for you. I say that every week, and I mean it even more every week. Like, is slightly increasing every time I say it. So thank you so much. Zoe appreciates it too, I'm sure. If you want to keep in touch with her platform, head on over to zoejakes.com. That link is down below. Her Eventbrite is also down below. And give Beats Antique a listen. They're good. They're really good. They're all, they have so many genres and styles and it's all just so unique and beautiful and wonderful. And I think that you should put it in your ear holes. I think that's a, a good thing to do for your life, for your health, for your heart. Uh, Yeah, I'm sticking with it. Uh, Catch us next time. We got another amazing guest coming up. So peace.